Hi, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation, on the Land of Israel Network. It's April 10th, 2023, moving into the 20th day of Nisan, 5783, meaning it is Passover, it is Pesach. And I'm broadcasting from the north of Israel. Um, We decided to take our family to the Western Galilee this year. Uh, since we don't have room for everybody anymore to have Seder, since we sold our house. And so we plan to come up here and um, have an enjoyable week with our children and grandchildren in a beautiful part of the country. But uh turns out to have been a little bit of a different week than we thought it was going to be. Um, had a beautiful Seder, the family drama, as so many other people have, but other than that, it was fine. Then right where we are, I'm sitting on uh, the next day, sitting outside, and I hear all these booms and explosions, and um, we were attacked from Lebanon. Um, Didn't really respond, but Israel was attacked from Lebanon, so that was day one. And then... And then the terror attack in the Jordan Valley... And the rumors start flying that it's people from Efrat, which is where I live. And it turns out that um, two sisters are killed. Neighbors of mine don't know them well, just know them from the neighborhood. But many of my other neighbors are good friends with them or their kids are good friends with the girls. And that the mother is fighting for her life. Um, we just found out a few hours ago that she lost that fight. And so it's been this uh, this crazy this crazy existence of trying to have a good time, you know, we're here, we have to specifically try and make every moment count, especially when you're with your loved ones, and on a holiday. Um, But there's this ever present grief and tears right there. Um, I took, uh, I couldn't get down back to Efrat for the funerals. So I watched them on the zoom link yesterday, sobbed the entire time, of course. And I'll try and not do that on the podcast today. I just, there's so many things like roiling around in my head. Um, it's, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and, and explain what's not explainable. I'm not even, I'm not even talking about the murders because that is completely and utterly incomprehensible. I was listening to the father and husband as he's burying uh, two of his daughters with his other three children there. I was listening to their eulogies, and I, not for the first time, could not believe the strength and the faith that these people have. It made the loss of these girls, and now their mother, all that much worse, because you realize this home, and like I said, I don't really know them well, but now I understand the loss on an even different level, because I understand this home, which was a home that we would all want to have a home of Torah, a home of giving, of love, and of strength. I mean, if somebody, if if he can stand there and talk about how it's important not to focus on what you don't have, but on what you do have. And at the time, he was saying his three remaining children and his wife, and he was wondering how he was going to tell her when she woke up from her coma that their two daughters, their two gifts... Had, were no longer in this world, so I guess he was spared that. And honestly, like I think about, I think about Lucy D, and I think it's a terrible thing to say, but she was spared the grief. 
And I believe with all my heart that she is in a better place. She's in the world of truth. She knows what's going on down here. She knows the end. What we don't know is we're muddling our way through here trying to figure out what the heck is going on. She's with her daughters. So she doesn't have to grieve for them. It's the people that are left behind that are the ones who are going to have to live without her. For them, what is so hard? This pendulum swing that we live in here is so is so intense that it's sometimes like physically hard to breathe. I'm sitting near a window here and it's pouring rain. There's a thunderstorm in Israel now. It's one of the we almost never get rain like this. And it, it's like the skies are crying also. It's like the heavens. It's not just like a little bit of a pattering rain. You might even be hearing it, the thunder. Um, it's like something is off its course and something really big is coming. And I think, I think about like when I gave birth and you know like you're going into and I had natural childbirth and you know that you're going into a tremendous amount of pain and... Well, these days, anyhow, with modern medicine, the likelihood is very small of dying in childbirth. It wasn't like that in the past, but you know that hopefully there'll be tremendous joy, but you're going to have to get and survive through the pain. And it's like, that's what I feel like is happening to the world right now. Like we're heading into something tremendous. I was even thinking, and far be it from me that I don't even know how... I'm like too small to even maybe be able to vocalize it. But according to Jewish tradition, there are 36 righteous people and at any given time in the world. And it's because of them that the world survives. It is because of their incredible righteousness and the incredible high level of their souls that the world survives. And, and I was thinking the other day, I was imagining them, that they're frantic, that they are just doing, not frantic in a, in a negative sense, but they are doing whatever they can right now to keep this world going for whatever is coming. I'm embedding a link into this podcast of an article that Mordechai Kedar just put out. Dr. Mordechai Kedar, a friend, very bright guy, I'm sure you all know who he is, his doomsday scenario. Um, something that could very well come to pass, like an all-out war against Israel, where a lot of countries come after us at once. And according to his analysis, and I don't think he's wrong, no one's going to help us, not America, not Europe, um, because Israel is now expendable, I guess, to some of these countries. It's not expendable, because um, if we have those 36 people that are holding up humanity, it is Israel and the Jewish people that are the sign of what it means what humanity means, and not every Jew, obviously, <laughs> and not only Jews, obviously, but there is something not understandable about my people and my people who are in the depth of their grief. I was listening to Rabbi D at the eulogy, and I recalled the words of Devorah Paley, the mother, a few months, a few months ago, whose two little boys the little brothers were murdered. And I was thinking about the Aniv family and their parents, uh, the two boys, Miguel and Halel, who were also killed, right? Everybody's been talking about the siblings and the brothers and what does this mean? And does it mean that we all need to unite and that we're all brothers? And I actually am taking it to a different place, even though that's all quite possible and it's not mutually exclusive. And I'm listening to the parents 
and I am in awe of their level. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, in awe of where they are at a moment where there are, are no poses, like you are as raw as you're going to be, I would imagine. And I hope I never know when you're bearing children. And I'm just, I can't, I can't believe who these people are. And it got me to think that the origins of the Jewish people are not with a king and they're not with a prophet, even though we've had many. They're with the matriarchs and with the patriarchs. They're with the parents. And I listen to these parents and I think this, this is the source. It's not in the great, so-called great people, the leadership, the people whom everyone knows, um, people whose names appear in the newspaper and are famous. It's in the people that are not famous. It's in the simple mothers and fathers. It's in the children of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and his and his wives. That's the message. And we talk about Hebron and the importance of Hebron and the tombs of the matriarchs and patriarchs. For me, the tombs themselves are not important. They're not there. I mean, if going there helps you pray better, that's great. We pray to Hashem and only to Hashem or scream at him or to him also. But that's where the relationship is. But the parents and family are the key. And I think about what's going on like in other parts of the world and all this woke stuff and and parents who are obliterating the identity of their children on even the most basic level, like are you a boy or a girl? Even that's now up to debate and can be erased. And for me as a mother and as a grandmother, I think about that tremendous responsibility and that that's the message of the Torah. The responsibility of the parents in each one of our homes, whether it's with our children or the children around us or nieces and nephews or whatever it is, it's that core family and the messaging of the family. That's why we survive, not because of our leadership. Oh boy, not because of our leadership, but because the lowest level, if you will, it's not the lowest level in that sense, but the the cellular level of the people, the family, there are unbelievably great families. And I have to imagine that with all that we know, these families, because of their tragedy, there are many, many, many other families like them who are educating their children to the values of faith, of understanding that we can't understand of believing in something bigger, that we are part of something very old and part of a future that's yet to come, and that we have to, that we're going to survive. It doesn't mean that there isn't grief. It's not like that. Oh my God, it is so not like that. And that there aren't questions. But I was looking and seeing what was going on in a frat where I've lived for 35 years. I raised my children. And looking at the youth of a frat with flags, singing, praying, not anger, not revenge, not like, you know, death to the Arabs, not that. Don't confuse that for weakness. Don't confuse that for what I now look at as the diaspora mentality of 
okay, like every once in a while, we're just going to get killed and we have to soldier on because we just have to soldier on. It's different here in Israel. Um, We are waiting because we are waiting for leaders to take control of the situation, to do something about our enemies, both within and without. I think there has to be a redefinition of what morality is. Because if somebody runs a car off the road and goes up to that car and shoots girls point blank in the head, that person has lost his right to live and his right, I think, for his entire family to exist anywhere in the borders of this land. And I said it many years ago and people said to me, oh, this is such a terrible person that when there's a terrorist, the village disappears in 24 hours, not kill anybody, just take the houses down, takes a village to raise a child, and that village then disappears because that child is a monster and therefore the village is done. And you can take them to Gaza and you can take them to Syria and I really don't care. But they have lost their right to live in this holy land. And I was, oh, you're so racist and it's collective punishment. It would have stopped, maybe. It would have stopped or minimized what's happening now. And that wasn't done. And it looks like that's not going to be done either. And it looks like a lot more blood is going to spill with this not understanding of we're in a war and we're not, we're not fighting to win the war. We are ho- kicking the can down the road. We are just our, what we want now or what our leadership wants now is just quiet. So when our, when our neighbors or the locals start up, we just want to return to quiet. That doesn't mean that they're going to stop what they're doing. That's not deterrence at all. Um, they see it as weakness. We see it as strength and they see it as weakness and it doesn't matter now anymore what we think. We have to understand that it's how they interpret it that's going to make the difference here. And um, we have not tried to actually win in decades. And that is now coming home. That that idea, I don't know where it came from and why it came, but um, the people haven't lost the will to win The people are amazing, most of them, not the people, well, even I would say most of the people went out to these anti-reform demonstrations. I think a lot of them, and I said it before, were just useful idiots. It was like the trendy thing to do. Um, And there were a lot of mistakes that the government made also, obviously, uh, in pushing this through without understanding how people were going to get upset. But there's a core here of Israelis who said they weren't going to follow orders, which is also a lie. I know every pilot is going to be in his cockpit if he has to be. But they made us look weak, and they forgot that we're family, and they forgot that we're family, but everybody's eavesdropping on our dining room conversation. And we're going to pay dearly for their hubris, for their selfishness, and for their misread of the situation. Um, And we already are paying dearly for that. So there's a lot going on in my head. We went up on Friday. We went up to Rosh Hanikra, which is about as, which is as far as you can go in Israel before you get to Lebanon. It's right on the border. It's on the coast. It's beautiful. There's grottos there. There's a cable car, and there was a a train that used to run through there that went from Lebanon into Israel. I interviewed many many years ago a woman who um, 
I think she was in Buchenwald. She was in one of the concentration camps, and she's taken out one day. She doesn't know why, and she's put on a train. She finds herself after a few days going through Turkey and all these different places and being driven in the train through Lebanon, and then she finds herself coming through that tunnel, and she finds herself in Israel, and she's saved from annihilation. Her entire family and everyone she knows are slaughtered by the Nazis. And only later, many, many years later, did she find out that it was because she had some papers I think that she was, she'd studied maybe in Britain. I don't know. There was something that she had that saved her life because the Germans basically traded her to get the German Templars back from Australia where the British had deported them. There was some random combination like that that saved her life. So she told me about that train ride and going through the tunnel. It's now obviously blocked up. And you look at it and you think like, why? Why is it so difficult to not have that open, we don't we don't want to hurt the Lebanese. Quite the opposite, or any of our neighbors. We we just want to live here. But the bottom line is, I just read and I just read a review of a book by Orrin Kessler. I think it just came out that the first so-called intifada, and I hate that word because it means like an uprising, and it's not at all. It's a pogrom slash war. Um, was not in 1987 and 1988. It was in 1936 when the Arabs realized that the Jews were coming home more en masse and that we were buying land and we were actually trying to create a civilization here in the sense of being civilized and grow things and have health funds and hospitals and universities and create a state. And that's the core of the problem. It's that simple that they haven't, for over a century, they haven't accepted us being here in any way, shape, or form. And the fact that in many ways we make their lives so much better is irrelevant. And so they will keep waging war against us, and they will keep losing, and then complaining to the world that they lost, and the world will take their side and say, oh, but yeah, they started the war, or the world won't even say that anymore, but it's because you took what was theirs. And if you know your history, you know what a lie it is, and there's no time on this podcast, and I don't have the energy anymore to explain that. And obviously, Israel's made mistakes, and we haven't done everything perfectly. But the bottom line is that we're not going anywhere. And uh, if they would accept that, then we could just have an amazing time. But we're not going to. And it looks like that we're heading sooner rather than later to that, um, I don't don't want to say final battle, um, but it's going to be something where we are going to have to fight to win um, or we're not going to win. And I know that many, many Israelis, myself included, feel like even though there might be a terrible war and a lot of people might die in the end that will win. And then I think to myself, I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe. I hope so. I believe so. I've staked my life and the life of everybody I love on it. But I don't know. I don't know. How many mistakes can you make? Um, even when you're physically strong, if you don't have the will to do something, then that's where the difference lies. And uh, I cannot... I cannot put into words the tremendous disappointment that so many people in this country have with our leadership, left, right, and center, by the way. Um, it just like, it. I mean, I, I just keep hoping that they're more on top of things than we think they are. And this is kind of like a, you know, like a fainting it, with an E um, kind of thing where they're pretending to be, to not know what they're doing. And then we'll wake up one morning and understand that they do know what they're doing and they were preparing. Maybe I hope so at the time that I'm broadcasting this podcast, I don't know. You'll let me know. 
or not. Um, but it's uh, the last few days have been so intense. I decided not to guide this Pesach and that I was just going to totally make it family time. And um, but I'm obviously still on my tour guides list, and I'm so commiserating with my fellow tour guides who have have to put a smile on their face and you know, show people a good time and guide, which is what we do and educate all the while, like choking back the tears and, and like listening to the news and understanding what's going on. And like, do I tell the tourists? Do I not tell the tourists? Those are the debates that are going on. And I totally get it. And I'm actually really happy that I wasn't in that position this week, because I don't know. I mean, I could have done it. I would have done it because I've done it before. Um, These are not, unfortunately, the first days that we've had. This is 18 years, today's 18 years since Tali Chatuel, um, a young pregnant mother, was leaving Gush Katif, and she was ambushed, and her four young daughters also, they were shot in the head. Uh, the car was ambushed, and then they came and shot these little four little girls in the head, and she was eight months pregnant with their son, and not only did they kill her, but they also shot up her, uh, her body so that the baby wouldn't survive either. Um, beyond anything that is remotely human. Uh, Like I guide Yad Vashem and I show people where the Nazis are in Yad Vashem. They're in black boxes if you haven't been to Yad Vashem to the Holocaust Museum because they're part of the story. Obviously the victims are the part of the story. The people who did nothing are also part of the story. The people who are there but not there. Um, And obviously the Nazis are part of the story but what do you do with them? Do you highlight them? You can't ignore them. So they're in black boxes, and you open it up, and you can read about them. And they don't look like monsters. Because they were just really bad people, people like any of us who made really, really bad choices. So um, I'm surrounded in the Middle East by people who continue to make really, really bad choices. Uh, some of them are just evil. They're just There's no other word for it. They're evil. Many of them are not fighting the evil, which makes them evil too, in my mind. I'm not in the mood really to give any kind of like dispensation to anybody, quite honestly. Um, and there's people out there too, none of you guys listening, I know, but there's people out there too who, uh, by not saying anything, by not standing up for Israel, by not explaining to people how skewed and twisted this story is, that Israel's made out to be the apartheid, terrible, genocidal state the exact opposite of what's really happening. Um, So those people who don't defend the good are are part of the problem. And so I would say, yeah, you probably got a majority of the Western world. I'm not not talking about the majority of the world because most people don't know what's going on here in Israel and they're just trying to put food on the table in South America or in Africa or wherever it is. Uh, But most people in the Western world who think that they know what's going on are actually uh, part of the problem and will possibly pay for it themselves at some point. I'm not hoping, I'm just saying, if there's any kind of justice, then uh, that might happen as well. So it's been um, it's been really crazy. Today we went to the Science Museum in Haifa, packed, packed with people and their kids. It was really a lot of fun. There was, uh, there was an art exhibit about Klimt, the, the famous artist, Gustavo Klimt, learned a lot about him. And I'm looking around, and all kinds of people there, you know, like ultra-Orthodox, the Haredim with their kids, and all other kinds of Israelis there with their kids, and a few Druze families, and some Arab families. And like, and I'm thinking, wow, like there are actually people who are going to lecture us about the importance of coexistence. They should just walk around this museum for 10 minutes and realize 
what idiots they are if that's what they're going to do because this is just and we don't even think about it like it's just a microcosm and we want to trust and we don't want to be suspicious we don't want to automatically assume that someone because of their ethnicity is evil but it's hard it's hard to do that it's hard it's really hard to do that it's really hard to do that. But we're not going to sink into anger and rage. A lot of it is turning into grief, but don't kid yourselves that there isn't a very, very, very strong will here. Don't don't fool yourselves that the grief and the non-acting out means acceptance. It doesn't. It means that we don't want to be who our enemy is. Um, Cheryl Mandel, an old friend whose own son, Kobe, was friends with my son, Donnie, was murdered by terrorists who've never been found, along with Yosef Ishran many years ago. She wrote a beautiful blog on that today about her. We're not, we're not like them. We're not like them. We're not doing this. Um, you know, we're not behaving. We're just not like them. <laughs> That's it. We just are not. And I'm not saying that there aren't some people whose whose frustration and anger get the best of them. But as a people, I was blessed to be born into the Jewish people. I hope I'm worthy of it. I hope I'm worthy of living in the land of Israel. My heart is breaking for the D family, for the Paley family, for the NA family, and for those families for whom this grief is yet to come, because nobody thinks by a long shot that this is over yet. So honestly, guys, I just don't know. I'm just sharing my thoughts with you, asking if you pray to pray for the Jewish people, for Israel, for the world, because this is all this is all in there together, and for some kind of understanding of what is going on here, and some kind of resolution to all to all this pain and all this grief, because it is really it is really unfathomable, and there are people whose lives have been changed forever, and um, there's just nothing I can do. There's just nothing I can do but keep the faith. So that is what I'm going to do. Thanks to Tabitha and to Ben. And thanks to all of you. Eve Harrow Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Am Hanetzach. Lo mefached mi derech Goodbye for now.